Welcome to this very special bonus episode brought to you from Nautilus International's General Meeting 2019, focusing on Maritime 2014. I'm joined today by two brilliant guests. We have Steve Cotton from the ITF and Dr. Cleopatra Donvia-Henry from the World Maritime University. Thank you both for being here. Thank you. It's a pleasure. So we're leading on from the Q&A that we just had with the um, members of the union and the special guests. And one of the things we discussed was the Transport 2040 uh, document that you have been both been working on for the vision of the future for the maritime industry. So for our listeners, where do you see the maritime industry in 20 years' time? So on behalf of the ITF, we, we still believe that shipping and ports are going to be the sort of mainstay of the global economy. But what we've been working with Cleo and her team at the World Maritime University is trying to understand in proper detail what are the risks, um, what's myth, what's true, and also how we should respond as, as labour unions to make sure that our, me- our members now and our members tomorrow are fully, fully qualified to take the challenges that the future of technology will bring. How can we harness the power of technology to be a, a positive thing to the industry rather than some individuals maybe being fearful of change or fearful of the likes of automation or you know, reduction of crews, for example? What the uh, major study projects is that you will need CFRs for the future, that the CFRs will remain indispensable to shipping, and the question will be that of the skill sets that will be required for the future maritime professional. But it is clear that while we see Um, the number of CFRs uh, at sea go down uh, over time. Uh, It is is also important to uh, recognize that uh, as long as CFRs continue to have the skill sets that the industry will need as it evolves, because that industry has been evolving over the years, it's not new, it's a continued evolution of the maritime industry. And, uh, the, uh, and, and technology has been introduced uh, gradually into the industry. It's already quite a sophisticated maritime industry with uh, how it has been transformed over the years. That transformation will continue, but not as fast, we think, as uh, many people uh, estimate, because uh, it, we would still, shipping is global, and ships have to go from one port to take on cargo to go to another port. Uh, around the world from developing countries to developed countries. So while we see developed countries who have less seafarers being more keen on getting their seafarers into jobs that will be automated for the future uh, and that can be done ashore, uh, the need for seafarers uh, going forward will, uh, will, will be absolutely necessary. If shipping have to remain, have to continue to be, and it must continue to be, the most effective, most fuel efficient, uh, and the most environmentally friendly form of transport that can be imagined. So Stephen, with the advances of technology, would you echo what Claire said there in that uh, seafarers shouldn't be alarmed about change, we should be you know, harnessing it? And Yeah, I mean, I think Graham might be a bit, bit more robust. I think there's a lot of product placement and there's a lot of scaremongering. Now, I'll use that word with caution, but the reality is, yes, you could have automated ships in certain sets of circumstances. We envisage that there will be, say, an inland navigation under one national jurisdiction, the opportunity to run more automated tonnage. But if you look at shipping um, as a whole, uh, and we would argue that transportation is too cheap, so we would argue that our crews deserve more 
um, but also maybe the, the ship operator, the, the stevedore companies, they need some more. It's actually we need to put a bit more pressure on the consumer to up the costs of things. So in reality, if you look at technologies we see, I don't see um, quickly, I mean I imagine with time that technology becomes cheaper, um, that there will be some risk, but the reality for us is global trade is governed by international law, shipping is governed by international law, and not, these laws are not so easy to change and won't happen in a hurry. So for us, we think there's a lot of um, you know, manufacturers wanting to put their product in the market, telling stories about people will be replaced, and we're looking across all of the transport modes, and we believe society as itself will need to come up with some, some answers, political answers to how we do what we would describe similarly to climate change, a just transition from some jobs to new jobs. And then I think what we'd also like to see is the educators in conversation with the regulators making sure that our next generations are fit for purpose. We do see that there'll be more uh, reliance on technology and software and those issues, and, but, but we, you cannot take away from the fact when you talk about seafaring and the skills of a seafarer, you have to understand the basics. You have to be able to move a vessel. It, you know, you need to. You need engineering. You need to be able to um, navigate. And those things are not going to be replaced. Um, in the sense, yes, we can have technology that make our life easier 99.9% of the time. But the one percent of the time when it might not be functioning or there's a energy issue, you still need to rely on those core skills. And we don't see that changing. But I think we have to be alert and we have to be having the debate and we have to be understanding the challenges to be in a position to make sure that globally uh, the ITF on behalf of Nautilus and its members is, is persecuting the argument to protect the integrity of the industry. One of the things you mentioned was the consumer perhaps having to pay more. For a lot of people that is maybe a bit of a pill to swallow. How can we translate an increase in perhaps costs of uh, food or goods and showing them the benefits of what that actually means. That, that well, I think, I think the, re the reality is we've been through a period of free marketing and, you know, whether, whether we agree with Donald Trump's position on China or not, the, the, the drive to make everything subcontracted or the lowest possible denominator ultimately has to stop. And we're talking to a number of global multinationals about their corporate social responsibility. And there's a recognition as we move into the climate change area where we're going to have different kinds of regulations, we're going to have to challenge fossil fuel as, as the major driver of energy. We need to have governments taking more progressive policies. And that means probably corporations paying more tax. And, you know, we're not. We're not suggesting this is along ideological left and right politics, but we're just saying as economics are lined up, you need to make people pay more for us to put more back into the society to build an infrastructure that helps us build education, react to climate change and those kind of challenges. So for us, um, you know, one P on a, on a pair of trainers really isn't going to break the bank and that conversation isn't going to drive inflation and, and turn the world upside down, but for us, Governments need to be more progressive in how they respond to both the climate challenge and also the, the, the future of work debate. So, Cleo, you mentioned in your presentation about what we can learn from other industries, and there's a very interesting article that I saw a few days ago in relation to cars and autonomous vehicles on the roads. And the article said Tesla's research and automated cars will save millions of lives, but a few people might die along the way. And is there anything we can learn from? 
those industries or other transport industries, but what are also the risks that might affect the shipping industry the same way that we've seen accidents happening when automation is being tested uh, in other sectors of transport? Probably the first thing I want to say uh, before answering, responding to your, uh, you know, the, the query that you've just asked, uh, the first thing I want to say is that shipping is expected to continue to expand uh, <clears throat> in, in, the, in this huge, big, new technology world in which, uh, so the need and the importance of shipping will continue to grow, and therefore the need for seafarers will continue to expand. So I, we, you know, that was one of the things that we, 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 we concluded. The second one, we, second important conclusion was that uh, um, the, the skill sets, the additional skill sets, additional, because they need to continue to maintain the, you know, what, what, what you need to do in case anything breaks down, because technology is not fail safe. And therefore, the new skill sets that seafarers need to have um, to crew the world ships uh, that will re that will imply technological further technological evolution and developments of the industry, and therefore those skill sets have to be part of the new curriculum. So I want to make sure that that is well understood that the need for seafarers for the future will be there, uh, and including with traditional skills. So I think that that's extremely important in case something happens. Uh, and, not, and it's not going to happen everywhere all around the world at the same time. We, you know, the, again, there'll be a two-speed uh, process with us where the developed world and those who have the resources will be able to have uh, the institutional arrangements in place to educate people with, with this in, in this new electronic um, uh, environment that, we're, we're, you know, that is being considered or being thought about. Uh, so that, that, is, uh, that is one thing. But if I came back to the, your question, I think the maritime industry itself has been innovating over the years. So there's a lot it can learn in terms of how it transitioned. Because it's not new to the maritime sector. From sail, you know, I mean, probably they were in the fastest place, uh, you know, the furthest from sail. And it's not on land. It's not easy to stop and call in somebody to come and fix something. So I think the shipping industry, by virtue of the experience it's had, like in aviation, for example, uh, I think the shipping industry will be able to adapt and adjust once the technology is right, if the technology is right. Um, uh, and so going forward for the future, um, I would well imagine that what will be required in terms of the current arrangements is really the, the sort of additional new skills uh, that will complement the existing ones. But certainly, um, you know, not a, not a it, it is going to be gradual and it's going to take time. So Stephen, do you think the maritime industry tends to be slow to adapt to new technologies and changes? Or are we waiting for some, are we going to be playing catch-up? Well, I wouldn't say we're slow, because if you look at the size of containers over the last 10 years, from you know, what we thought were hubs and feeders, we've now kind of doubled in size, the container ships. And there, there is conversations about um, what we would describe as strategic planning. It kind of, if we've got to answer questions about emissions and we've got to challenge issues around skills for the future of work and automation. Um, I don't think shipping is slow to react, but our challenges in a market that's all about cost, the cost element is always putting pressure on both the ship owners that we deal with and the stevedore companies. And we've seen over the last 10 years since the last economic crisis, you know, everyone carving everything as much as they can. And ultimately in our conversations with the multinational corporations, 
they're getting frustrated that we're not passing the cost on. So like we have a common interest actually with the employers and a global supply chain to take a leadership role, whether that's both in politics or regulation or how we deal with the climate or, or the future of work. We need to kind of build coalitions that say, look, this is our industry. We provide a fantastic service to the global economy. Give us some respect, give the seafarers some respect and let, let's recognise that we'll pay them a bit more because you can't make a technological change like the, the emissions regulations under the IMO and then expect the employer and the shipping industry to absorb all the cost. It's just not the model. There's, no, there's not enough fat in the industry. So for us, push the cost up the line. Let's convince governments, let's convince consumers that it's in their interest to invest in our industry. What is the biggest hurdle facing um, automation and the technological uh, development in the maritime industry? I think the biggest difficulty is just the nature of global governance and regulation. So, you know, you cannot replace centuries of trade law and then health and safety regulations under the United Nations regulatory bodies in, in a hurry. And, you know, we, our job is to, to ensure that there's good secure jobs for, for seafarers, but there's also an enormous health and safety responsibility to the well-being of the society and the ships. So, you know, let's never ever underestimate, we're talking about seafarers dealing with a sea. So for us, it's yes, we've got to manage regulation and take the challenge, and that's an opportunity for us to formulate um, strategies that manage change in the interests of our members. But then the big question is, how do we make sure that our contribution to society um, holds true to our fundamental trade union international solidarity positions? And Dr Cleo, on the flip side, what would you say the biggest benefit that we can, as an industry, uh, gain from automation? I think when it come, comes to automation, for me the most important component of automation is automating um, the areas of work that are dangerous, highly dangerous. This is where the focus ought to be dangerous so that people working in an environment, especially at sea, where we reduce the, their exposure not only to occupational safety and health uh, issues, but also their exposure to other forms of, um, you know, for example, the long hours that are worked by seafarers. If, uh, if technological tools can enable uh, the certain types of work to be done that then reduces the number of hours. We just spoke in that, in that, in that session about the long hours that CFRs work at sea and the short, uh, you know, the very short time they have for rest, hours of work and hours of rest, and therefore the health and safety issue is critical. So I, I do think that there are areas that are extremely hazardous, that can be automated, that are um, that require a high level of technological, um, uh, let's say, development and therefore use that would be required. But I do think that you will still need to see, if you cannot see ships uh, today, whether electronically and whether you have technology in the world, that you could have ships running around the world without crew. You have to have a minimum crewing level on board ships to ensure that if something happens, there can be an immediate intervention. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, and we hope to have you on again soon. Pleasure, thanks, Thank Craig. you. For more information on Nautilus International, including who they are, where they work, and what they do, you can visit their website following the link in the bio. We hope you enjoyed the show, and as always, don't forget to get in touch and let us know any ideas that you have for future episodes.
We're also really excited to announce the launch of our Maritime Voices series. It's a collection of one-to-one -one interviews with the leading voices from across the maritime industry, and you can stay up to date with the latest releases on social media. We're available on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and also on our website, www.theshippingexchange.co.uk. Thanks for listening.